This podcast is brought to you by AJ Bell and Shares Magazine. Shares Magazine is published by AJ Bell Media, part of AJ Bell. Hello, I'm Tom Sieber, Deputy Editor at Shares Magazine, and welcome to the second in a new series of podcasts from Shares. This is a bonus pod that runs alongside the regular AJ Bell Money and Markets, which can be found across all good podcast platforms. And we're going to be taking an in-depth look at some of the most interesting stories on the stock market. Now, up for discussion this week is Rolls-Royce. Um, it was described as a burning platform by its new boss, Tufan Ergen Billick, earlier this year. And he has succeeded in lighting a fire under the share prices as investors react to the promise of a big turnaround. Dis- to discuss what might happen next is Shares News Editor Steve Fraser. Hello. And we're also joined by Shares Companies Editor Ian Conway who is going to lead us through the latest drama for online groceries play, Ocado. Hi, Tom. If you look at the share price chart of Rolls-Royce, um, it, it's, 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 pretty, um, it's pretty awful. I mean, what's been, what's been the key feature going on, um, given, you know, over five years, it's just declined, I don't know, 40%, 50% more than that? Yeah, so no, that's, that's a really good point, Steve. I mean, the, we should say that it, it has been a kind of a slightly happier picture um, so far this year. It's, you know, it's one of the best performing stocks um, this year. But yes, you're right to play this, place it in a long-term context and it has really struggled. Um, I mean, a big, you know, part of that is the pandemic. And, you know, basically to, to sort of dial back very quickly, Rolls-Royce makes engines for aircraft. So that's its kind of core function. It does it for both civil aerospace um, as an industry and to, for the defense industry as well. You know, it's thing, not about cars in some, is it? It's not about the cars, exactly. It's worth making that point. Although the two business, businesses were linked historically. Um, but it, yeah, no, it, in its current form, it's nothing to do with cars. It makes it makes air, um, engines for aircrafts and that's, that's its kind of core function. And obviously during the pandemic, none of these aircrafts were flying. And the big thing with Rolls is that it generates a lot of its kind of profit from these spares and repairs contracts on a kind of large installed base of engines. And if planes aren't flying, they don't need maintaining as much. You know, it's the it's the, the flight hours that is a key metric for, for roles. So that's been a big problem. But you can't purely ba- blame it on the pandemic. It, it was struggling before then, um, despite the kind of best efforts of, of a guy called Warren East, who was the previous chief executive. He really tried to sort of turn around the business, make, you know, improve the cash flow, which had been a big sticking point. Um, but he hadn't, I mean, he made some progress, but he'd not made, you know, sufficient progress to really kind of turn the share price around. And Tom, I, I think uh, Warren East, if, um, if I remember correctly, he was the, the former CEO of, of that um, that chip Colossus arm holdings that, that yeah. a lot of investors will be very keen on. He obviously got taken private uh, by SoftBank and there's been speculation he's going to, Kind of refloat again, but interesting that he done a fantastic job there. But he seems to have had less success at Rolls Royce. Yeah, and I mean maybe that shows how difficult a job it, it is. I mean he certainly took some costs out of the business. He sold a part of the business as well that wasn't necessarily performing, you know, particularly well. So he, you know, he did do some do some things, but he he wasn't really able to kind of make a a, a huge success out of turning Rolls Royce around. Um, you know, there there were some kind of problems with. Um, one line of its engines as well, which you know created created issues. Obviously, those trend troubles, eh, Tom? Those trend troubles, exactly. Um, 
so yeah so basically that's that's the context and this year since um Ergen Billick has been appointed the shares are really taking off and that's largely because he's talked very tough you know I mean it feels like particularly if a company's been struggling a bit the Rudra new chief, chief executive is about the business the bear is going to perform because it it suggests to the market they're serious about the problems you know they're, they're going to get stuck into it um he he hasn't really done anything major yet to kind of back up that that talk. He he's appointed a few people, which is interesting. I, I, I just wonder it's, it's, it might be worth just putting a context and where Rolls Royce is in terms of other manufacturers. It's my understanding that that they are one of the big three engine producers yeah. uh, of commercial aircraft. Yeah, that's uh, right. General Electric, which is an American company, yeah, and and also um, the third one, uh, Pratt and Whitley. Uh, Whitney, sorry, uh, also a US-based business. Yeah, there is a there there is a kind of a fourth player, if you like. So it might be three and a half, and that's called CFM, and, and that's a joint venture between General Electric and a French engineering company called Saffron. Yeah. Um, but these are the big players. But what's po- what's worth pointing out is Rolls Royce focuses very much on the wide-bodied aircraft. So yes. these are the really big uh, jumbo jet type um, airplanes and the A380s, etc. So these are, these are the ones doing the longest haul flights. So you can see if you're doing a, I know a, a five thousand mile round trip, you know you're 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 really putting the strain on the engines, and that's why um, it work, pays well for Rolls Royce because it, you know, after a certain number of miles flown, they need to come back into Rolls Royce's garages and have a good old checkup, and that's where they make a lot of their profit. Yeah, definitely, and I mean it's it's really important to talk about that that competition because one of the issues. Rolls has had is that its margins haven't really kept pace with with some of the companies you just talked about there, um, and whether or not that's down to cost, you know, there's too many costs in the business. Perhaps there is some costs that can be taken out, but that was very much a, a focus of Warren East was to to sort of you know to take costs out. So you know, quite a lot of work's already been done there, and that suggests that you know, in order to really turn Rolls around. You're going to be have to be sort of some more drastic steps taken, um, and also perhaps they'll they'll need to do a better job of kind of the commercial terms that they agree with you know the their clients, which I guess are the you know the big play manufacturers. So there's there's a lot for him to do, and um, I mean in terms of you know so we talked about the share prices, it, it re- reacted very strongly to his appointment and his kind of early comments on the business. It's kind of stalled since March. And I think if he's going to resume that upward trajectory, he needs to sort of demonstrate he's actually actually sort of taking some action. So we've got the interim results in August. You know, the market will be expecting to hear more about his plans then. And later this year, they haven't kind of set a date yet, but there, there's going to be a strategic, well, there's the strategic review ongoing, but there's going to be a, an investor day to sort of update on that. And that will be, that'll be key. He's got a lot of, he's still got a lot of convincing to do. I mean, I think it's, it's, it's worth pointing out to, to, to listeners that, I mean, there's some exciting stuff in the pipeline though for Rolls-Royce and some great opportunities beyond just commercial uh, airliners. I mean, if you look at, they, they, they build basically engines for trains and also for, yeah. for smaller boats. I mean, they had a big marine business uh, a few years back, but they, they got rid of it. That was yeah. a sort of commercial shipping arm. So that's got rid of, but they, they still make um, marine engines for, for you know, posh yachts effectively, I suppose. Yeah. Um, I mean, the really exciting is potential is in electrically powered um, uh, uh, aircraft, and they've, they've they've been doing some test runs with a, a, a small single seater plane. And the idea would be to uh, uh, have 
very small planes that might be your kind of potential air taxis. Um, so who knows how long this would, would take to happen. But I mean, this is a joint venture there in with, um, with Siemens, the German in, industrial um, engineering company. And, and, and that's got a lot of potential if you think about how much CO2 goes into the atmosphere from, from airline travel. So there are a lot, lots of opportunities for Rolls-Royce. Um, so it might be a case of um, Urban Billy just getting his feet under the table and, and realising, you know, working out what's my priority. Um, how can I satisfy customers, um, shareholders, and also present some good ideas, invest for the future? Yeah, absolutely. That, that's a really good point. I mean, I think, you know, that, that whole question of how Rolls deals with the future and this idea of kind of, you know, we're supposed to be moving to a net zero emissions world. How do we do that and still have kind of commercial air travel? It, you know, it's, it's a big question. I mean, it, interestingly, one analyst I read had suggested that they might sell the electrical aviation business that you were talking about because it hasn't made a huge amount of progress yet, you know, but then, you know, they can, they have to have this eye to the longer term as well. Um, I mean, another thing that um, some analysts have talked about in terms of what Urban Billick might do to to improve the business is to have a kind of more centralized approach to decision making and and the way they allocate um, the company's money essentially because it hasn't been spent that well in the past and that's been one of the problems you know that's one of the reasons why cash flow has been weak and it's one of the reasons why you know the business has ended up in a bit of a mess and, and is requires this kind of turnaround. It kind of makes you wonder though whether whether the, the board of directors have, have been. Um as effective as you might hope they, they might have been. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, not execs and the chairman, et cetera, it's their job to hold um, the, the, the C-suite, you know, the chief exec and the chief financial officer, to hold them to account to make sure they're doing their job um, certainly reasonably, um, if, not, if not brilliantly. And it sounds like maybe they've allowed things to slip to some degree. Possibly, so yeah. Blame should be shared a bit more around rather than just uh, pointing fingers at, at Warren East. Yeah, no, I don't think I, don't, I think Warren is. Yeah, he's he's not. You know, he's not the the, the whole the the sole culprit for where Rolls is. I mean, it, you know, you talk about the boards and and the board of directors. You know, we, I was touching on it earlier, but he's brought in a couple. So, Chief Van Ergenbillet comes from BP, um, and he's brought in a couple of colleagues: Helen McCabe, Nicola Grady Smith, Chief Financial and Chief Transformation Officer, is the, the roles they've been appointed to, respectively. Um, and I, I think that is interesting because if you look at BP. It did, you know, confronted with lower oil prices, it, it brought in a lot of improvements in efficiency. Um, and that, you know, got to a point where it was generating huge amounts of cash. And it obviously that helps, you know, the fact that the oil price rebounded had helped with that. But, you know, Bernard Looney described it as a cash machine. So it was clearly being run, you know, very, very efficiently. And I think, you know, they if they can bring some of that efficiency and some of that kind of focus on cash flow to roles, you know, he, he's got, you know, he's got a decent chance of, of leading a proper turnaround of that business. Yeah, I mean, certainly it had a, it had a long track record of, of operational and, and share price excellence, didn't it? Um, yeah. I mean, as, as we touched on earlier in the conversation, I mean, the, the problems he's been having are, are, are relatively recent considering it's... Relatively, it's, yeah, probably the last decade. So, you know, the, the shares peaks are... You know, maybe around 2013, and they they're a long way below that. They're still a long way below, even after sort of a, a good rebounds over the the last few months, or, or certainly the start of this year. They're still a long way below where they were pre-pandemic. 
so yeah there is that kind of recovery potential there um and it will be you know it'll be one to watch and and to sort of focus on on kind of what he's actually you know there's been the talk that's been very well received now it's about the action and it'll you know be interesting to see what he actually delivers on that front you know the one just to kind of perhaps bring things to a bit of a conclusion the one kind of um i guess handicap he's got is that you know they're still sitting on quite a lot of net debt net debt went from 1.2 billion um in 2019 to more than 5 billion during the pandemic because obviously it was it saw a, a massive drop off in its business we're now back at kind of somewhere around three billion. So you know they have managed to scale that back, but that's still you know still a lot of debt. And I think that's why this kind of cash flow is going to be such an important metric. And that's where he he may well be judged. You know whether he he is a sort of success or a failure in the role. So all the better ultimately that this this supposed um, travel rebound after the pandemic that was allegedly going to come through last year. Yeah, and, and really kind of came through in 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 spits and stars, but ultimately. This year, 2023, seems to be a much more uh, sustained bounce back yeah. for the entire travel industry. Um, so that's got to play well for Rolls-Royce's free cash. Absolutely, yeah. No no doubt that that's very helpful. And he has at least got that kind of tailwind behind him. And just a final kind of thing to think about, I suppose, is, yeah, you talked about the electrical avi- aviation. There's a, a part of a new markets part of um the rolls business it's a division that doesn't contribute to revenue at this point because you know as the name suggests it's very sort of nascent stage but it's things like small modular reactors which is you know if i read the press around nuclear energy it's it's kind of seen as a more affordable and a a more rapid way of introducing nuclear energy and and obviously with the focus on energy security right now and kind of trying to move to um, away from fossil fuels that that could be important so yeah it's got it's got sort of some interesting long-term potential there as well but i think in the short term it's going to be all about cash flow um speaking of cash flow uh, and a company that i don't think has ever really delivered any has it in to date um we're gonna we're gonna sort of focus on ocado for a little bit um and as you pointed out from one of the best performing shares this year to to one of the worst so what's what's laid behind that weak share price in yeah, standard Tom. Yeah, it does feel like I've got the short straw this this time, doesn't it? Um, yeah, I mean the, the shares have had a big uh, rally this month, but they're still down eighteen percent this year, and the FTSE one hundred's down just over one percent. Um, if you think back to January, they were trading over eight pounds. Start of this month, they were down at about three pound forty. So that's a sixty percent fall. Um, I think, well, actually, if you go back even further, um, you go back to the height of the pandemic, late 2020, believe it or not, Ocado shares were trading at £30. Is it? Um, I think there are three reasons, really, why the shares are down so much. First of all, okay, internet shopping really took off during the pandemic, but I don't think it's quite the disruptive force everybody thought it was. Um, I think people, secondly, got carried away with the valuation of the platform business, which is the other side of it. Um, and finally, you've got interest rates you know, that have torpedoed the valuation of all these things that are promising earnings down the track. Yeah. Ian, I wonder if it's worth just explaining the difference between the, the grocery side because most of our listeners will have will have seen our kind of vans across the um, across the, the road network. Um, with the platform side, that's the very high-tech bit, isn't it? That's right, Steve. Yeah, yeah. There are two bits to it. So you've got the retail business, as you say, which is the vans. Um the online food delivery business, which is a 50-50 joint venture with Marks. 
And as I say, during the pandemic, a lot of people switched to shopping online. Uh, and e-commerce went from something like 7% to 15% of the total grocery market. But I think people got a bit carried away. There was talk of it going to 25% of the market. If you look at Nielsen data now, it's probably more like 10%. So it's actually fallen. Um, and part of the reason for that is that people want to go into stores. They want to check stuff out. And of course, Ricardo, it's a big problem. It doesn't have stores. It's totally online. Um, sales are holding up. First quarter, they were up three and a bit percent, but that's all down to high prices. As we know, the price of fruit and veg and everything is has gone through the roof. I think Kantar were talking about 17% grocery inflation in the first quarter. So by extension, volumes are down a lot. And um, again, Kantar are saying 70% of UK households are either very or extremely worried about food prices going forward. That's the kind of one thing that they're still really concerned about. So you've got fewer items, um, fewer people visiting their site and they actually announced in April they were going to close down their very first CFC or Consumer Fulfillment Centre. We know it's a warehouse, um, but it's the very first one they set up in this country and it's the model for the whole system. Yeah. Handling 20% of their business, but you know, that can be taken up by the spare capacity in the newer facilities. So they just don't have the demand on it. I wonder, is there an element here where um, that initial uh, CFC or warehouse, as you say, um, might have been using some older technology that's maybe been updated and been superseded by more modern warehouses? So maybe that's a factor as well. Uh, definitely a factor. You know, they can improve their delivery by using the newer CFCs. So it was probably part of the plan all along to close down Hatfields. But it's it's interesting that it's... Um, it seems to be this combination of smaller baskets, fewer customers ordering. They've got the capacity and the rest of the network. So they're just saying, oh, sorry, guys, you know, we're out of here. And that's several hundred jobs lost. I mean, the retail business, I think people are projecting it might make an operation profit this year. But I think it'll be a long time before shareholders see a real return from that business. It's interesting it's you mentioned earlier about them. Number of people have gone back from offline, um, online, sorry, back into the stores. But um, I mean, given the heat we're currently feeling, I mean, I have to say, when I walk into my local Tesco, it's quite, it's quite a nice blast of cold air, to be honest. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I mean, just, just to, uh, you know, I think in a way the shares have been valued much more on the kind of this potential, you know, like you said, the kind of jam tomorrow potential of these selling this kind of solution for online groceries to global supermarkets. And I mean, you know, it's worth talking about, you know, these fulfillment centers are, you know, they're quite high tech, aren't they? It is a load of kind of robot pickers, you know, basically taking stuff to, you know, load onto vans. Is that, is that, is that about right? Ian? It's extraordinary. These, yeah. these are, uh, they can run with the lights out, but you know, you don't need almost anybody there except somebody in a control room, just making yeah. sure the robots don't crash into each other. Um, They've had one or two incidents that had a fire in Erith and that closed it for a while. But to be honest, as as a model, it's extremely good and, and it's it's well ahead of the competition. The problem is it costs a huge amount uh, to build these things. Um, and they've spent two decades investing in this business. They've still only got 12 customers. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a huge cash drain. It's never turned a profit. There's no guarantee it ever will. Um, you know, say during the pandemic, however, 
because everybody was bidding up the price of everything that had an online platform, Ocado shares got to 30 quid. But it was never really worth that on that basis. I wonder, Ian, as well, there's some good points made there. I wonder as well if you factor in the cost, as you say, up front. Um, think about the average supermarket. I mean, they run on relatively thin margins, don't yeah. they? I mean, the competition is so fierce. Yeah. So to expect a big supermarket to go and make a capital, a massive capital investment, that's a massive commitment. So I guess that's why there's been relatively slow progress. Yeah. See, absolutely hit nail over head there. I mean, and that takes us on to the... Uh, the big story of last week and this week, which was that uh, the rumours that Amazon were going to buy it. And as you say, these businesses operate on really small margins. Um, it was it was an interesting narrative that uh, Amazon might come along and pay £8 a share for it. That would be £7 billion for the whole company. Um, but realistically, you know, it's not going to happen. And actually, the share price has started to come off this week. Um, we found them actually what was going on last week was um uh an italian investment firm was buying shares in it so it's called lingotto uh it had one percent of ocado shares which is owned since 2017 i think um it was their worst performing stock last year so they basically doubled down and bought another four percent or so and that triggered stock exchange disclosure rules so that's how we know it's them um Lingotto is owned by the Agnelli family, and the Agnelli family used to own Fiat. And fun fact, if you've seen the Italian job, the original, of course, <laughs> uh, the Fiat factory in Turin, where the minis go bombing around the roof, chased by the police, is called Lingotto. Nice detail, I like it. Um, yeah. There are also a couple of interesting characters associated with Lingotto. So you've got former Chancellor George Osborne's the chairman, and James Anderson, former manager of Scottish Mortgage, is an advisor to them. Um, it, I don't think it's really helped their timing because apparently uh, they finished buying on Friday the day after the stock went up 50%. Um, so, yeah, we now know that uh, it's coming out that Amazon aren't interested, share price is going down again. But uh, this backs up what you were writing um, last week, Steve, about this being one of the most volatile stocks in the market. As anybody who owns it will know, you know, um, it can be up or down three or four times whatever the market's doing on any given day. Doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason to it. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, but, it, but it's, you know, it, it's still popular. It's a FTSE 100 stock still. I know you've done, you've, you've sort of drilled down into this a little bit and done a bit of analysis in maybe you could sort of talk us through that. Um, um, there's not a lot more to add, really. So I'm back in February, we looked at 18 months of data, and it's just ridiculously volatile. You've got more than 20 daily moves of over 5%. I think there might have been, I don't even think FTSE did one daily move of over 5% during that period. Um, biggest daily loss was nearly 17% against 4% for the FTSE. Uh, and its biggest one-day gain until last week when it jumped 50% the day was 38%. And again, biggest one day move for the index is four percent so what's odd about it is it doesn't necessarily go up when the market goes up it can go up when the market goes down and vice versa so there isn't a pattern you know if a people who like statistics you like to say kind of see if you can find some pattern yeah. there's, no, there's no rhyme or reason to it 
it just does what it does. I mean, it's almost, I wonder whether it's become a meme stock, like it's a game stock in the US. I can't really say anymore. Yeah, it I maintains it's, it's kind of core fundamental um, believers. Um, certainly I am, and much of the shares team, they're core fundamentalists. You're looking for a, a kind of a fundamental driver for the share price, and, and Arcado is one of those those shares of which there are many that just seem to have a life of their own. Yeah, um, now exactly you know, markets are enormously complex, so to assume that you could put a finger and say, "Well, that's the reason why a share went up or went down," is is almost always very very difficult, and sometimes actually impossible. And, and as I remember, when I was first starting out as journalism, I'd ask my analysts, "Do you know why this share went up?" Well, they were more buyers and sellers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I like that. Yeah, last week, Amazon was a convenient kind of excuse. Ah, oh, Amazon must be buying it. But the shares were up quickly said nobody knew why. Now we know why. The Italians are buying it. Yeah, I mean, just maybe to sort of bring this to a conclusion, you know, some of the people involved with Lingotto, well, you, you might have your own view, but, you know, they're, they're reasonably smart people. Why are they doubling down? You know, why are they investing more in it, given everything that we've said? Absolutely no idea. I mean, uh, obviously, James Anderson's famous for, you know, taking a very long-term view on businesses that uh, with payouts a long way in the future. So I don't, we, we have no way of knowing who caught the trigger on this, who whose call it was, except to say, as I say, that it was the worst performing stock last year. So... If they, if they, they're obviously they're believers, they believe in the long term story. Um, they've increased their stake, and um, you know we'll see where we go from here. Well, as a as a as a closing point, um, it might be worth just just pointing out though that if you if you think that someone like James Anderson, as as Ian and Tom have both been saying, a long term, he's a long term investor, and that's that's a policy he, he in fact he invented at Scottish Mortgage. Um, it might be that how we see the market today, or even forecast it in two or three years' time is not really the market that they're pitching um, Ocado making money from. And it's much the same as you look at your deliverers and your justies and lots of delivery businesses. They, they work on a basis where the market has to really mature quite a lot for them to to justify the kind of valuations. So it might be that it will come good, but who's to say? Who knows? We You know, we might be having this conversation in five years' time and it's Cardo's back in the FTSE 100. It's it's one of the best performers, but um, yeah, for the time being, it it doesn't appear to be in that category. Thanks so much, Ian and Steve, and thanks um, for listening, everybody. If you have any feedback or ideas for stocks that we could cover in the future, please email us at podcast at ajbell.co.uk, and we'll join you next time. Before you go, please remember this podcast is for educational purposes and the views expressed don't necessarily reflect those of AJ Bell or Shares Magazine. The podcast isn't telling you whether certain investments are suitable or not. And don't forget that the value of investments can change and you can lose money as well as make it. It's also important to remember that tax rules apply and that the way an investment performed in the past may not be the same as how it behaves in the future. If you want help, go see a qualified financial advisor.